Hello there. Welcome to Digging Deep. I'm your host, Jordan Cameron. This is a podcast where we will be bringing a series of interesting guests on to talk about their passions, beliefs and views on the world. And through these conversations, I hope you can all go away, never being afraid to dig deeper into your everyday lives to find the truth, beauty and new potentials and possibilities we can all truly achieve in this world. Today's guest is Kyle Conkeel. Kyle is the bassist in the band Bad Wolves and the host of the podcast Just STFU. Kyle, it's an honour to have you on the show, my friend. Thank you for taking the time out to come on today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing really good, Jordan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you uh, having me on your show. Thank you very much. The feeling is very much reciprocated. Uh, so before I start today, I'd like to ask, um, what's made you agree to come on today? Is there something that perhaps intrigues you about what makes us who, who we are as, as, as individuals, I guess, or something else? Someone who's had a podcast for you know, going off and on for about five and a half years now, anytime someone asks me to come on a podcast, I always, I always do it because I know how hard it is sometimes to secure certain guests or somebody and being a fan of podcasts. I really feel like having different conversations with different people, not only is fun for me, but it also helps me hone my craft in more and make me a better podcast host. So having someone else in the driver's seat, on a podcast is uh, it's, it, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice change. Thank you. <laughs> I still get very nervous when I do these, but it's, uh, those are very, um, that, that does make me feel very comfortable. Thank you. Um, so uh, you say no, all these, um, these different opportunities you've had to come on podcasts. Uh, what have you, um, what have you learned from being or doing your podcast? I've kind of learned because when I first started doing my podcast, it was really, I would do a lot of bullet point notes and there'd be certain points that I would be trying to make um, with the person that I was having the conversation with. And over the years, I've kind of figured out that it's better for me to kind of go in blind and ask questions like say, you know, I, if I have a guest on, instead of like talking about something that they're doing, I'll ask them instead of trying to like, trying to dictate a narrative throughout a conversation. I try to just actually have a conversation with these people. And, you know, I try to get as many people as I can on that in Excel in their fields and have interesting conversations with different types of people, not just people related to the music industry or musicians or techs or anything like that. I just really want to have converse meaningful conversations with people who I feel Excel in their in their field thank you that's a wonderful way to start it off thank you <laughs> um so the first question i always like to ask guests um i guess it takes them to the very start um when you were younger what were some of the things that opened your eyes to a new perspective on how much positivity and perspective the world can offer you as a person um well i really feel my uh, my mother was a, was a single mom who had to deal with three rambunctious boys and, um, you know, having older brothers, uh, they kind of opened my eyes to a whole different world. They're 10, 11 years older than me. And uh, I was able to kind of freely express myself through media as a child. My mom wasn't like, oh, you can't listen to that band. You can't watch that show. My mom kind of knew where I was mentally and, and maturely, uh, if that's even a word. Uh, so I was kind of just, <laughs> I was kind of just free to, you know, 
take in any of the media that I wanted to. And it, and it obviously opened up to different genres of music, movies, video games. And she's she wasn't one of those parents who was, you know, micromanaging me compared to some of my other friends. And I and I just kind of felt, you know, as I was about eight, between eight and 12 years old, I definitely had a little bit more freedom when it came to what I was taking in compared to my friends. And I wouldn't say that that was my mom being careless or reckless as a mother, but she knew that as as being a a big music fan herself, that I was going to listen to and watch whatever I was going to watch anyway. And instead of trying to hide it from her, she was just be like, yeah, just you want to watch this movie? Cool. Watch it together. If you want to listen to this, cool. Like, you know, I was I was the kid in high school wearing the really graphic, gory Cannibal Corpse T-shirts. And my mom didn't care. She didn't think that, you know, I was going to do something bad because of the music I listened to or the movies that I watched. So I think from a really young age, I was able to kind of express myself more freely than I think most of my peers were. That's a wonderful answer. A, a lot of the uh, things you've said that have really stood out. Um, there was uh, also the movies and video games. Was Were there any that really stood out to you when you were a kid as well that made you think, you know, um, like, oh, Star Wars, that's made me think, oh, what's really out there? What's really out in the universe? Was there anything that made you think that when you were younger? I mean, there was a, there was a point when I was, uh, when I was, when I probably about eight, eight or nine, it wasn't so much it wasn't so much the the video games but um i remember i used to watch a lot of tv with my older brothers cuz you know like i said my mom used to work three jobs i had three older brother or two other two older brothers and so they kind of had control of the television and uh i remember i started watching the x-files with them and uh that show used to scare the crap out of me but after watching it for a few years, it kind of made me think, well, there, there's got to be something more. And then I kind of started getting into space and stars. And I mean, I, you know, I don't know all the names of the planets, uh, planets, moons or anything like that, or all the different galaxies or what have you. Um, but there was a real interest in just space in general. And, you know, getting to be older and listening to podcasts of people like Neil deGrasse Tyson you know, it's kind of opened me up to like have a, more of like a hobby interest in astrophysics and space and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, probably, I definitely it's probably got to say it started with either the Twilight Zone or or uh, or the X-Files. <laughs> That's great. So, I mean, like, how would you say your uh, belief of space has evolved now? Do you believe like there's... Um life on mars and that's why we probably haven't gone back there since i know they i think i believe they uh, just put a rover on mars if i'm not mistaken yeah but um yeah uh, like uh, how was your like view on space evolved now do you believe in other like life forms out there i think it's mathematically impossible that we are alone in the vast universe i think with how many different galaxies and how many different planets and how many different suns and stars and moons that there are out in the vast universe, I really think it's mathematically impossible. And then if you really get into, if you really get into um, like parallel universe thinking, then, you know, they, they, you know, there's a, a theory that each separate universe is a parallel 
universe. So it really, it really just depends on, on what you think. And personally, like I said, it, I, I really think it's mathematically impossible with the trillions of planets and millions and trillions of suns that there is literally one planet that has intelligent life form and that planet is earth. I mean, there there's gotta be, and I'm sure that there's other planets that have uh, lesser intelligent beings. And I'm sure that there's planets that have vastly higher intelligent beings. I mean, will we ever actually figure that out in my lifetime? I hope so. But for them to be able to come in contact with us the way that, you know, a lot of the conspiracy guys um, like to think of it, you know, I, I'm, I'm included in that is uh, they have to have the understand uh, understanding of space travel and be able to travel as fast, if not faster than the speed of light. So. A hundred percent. I mean, there's all these things that have happened in the past, like, you know, Roswell, um what really does go on at area 51 all these other things that you hear and i i completely agree with you there dude. there there is uh, i 100 percent agree that there is it's not just us there it's physically not possible that you know we can go out there and out there and out there even beyond the galaxy and just think oh wow it's it's just nothing there's got to be other life forces there <laughs> and um uh, just going back to what you were saying there um having the open mind is good because you know it brings you new i guess new perspectives on things that um it's just not a closed world if that makes sense <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yep so um uh how would you say your upbringings in the area you grew up in made you the person you are today well, I mean, you know, I was born and raised in uh, in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, California. I think um, because I was born and raised here, I think I kind of had a, a little bit of a step up and a little bit more uh, of a chance, mainly just because of where I was, where I was raised. I mean, you know, like I started playing shows at the Whiskey A Go-Go when I was 14 years old, you know, so I really just think being where I am and Los Angeles, especially, you know, since the 80s and 90s and, you know, the early 2000s. Now it doesn't really matter because you can do everything over the Internet. Um, but during those times, Los Angeles was a was a really was a central hub for not only movies, but music and all different types of entertainment. So I think just being where I am, you know, I really feel, especially since I've wanted to do music since I was really young, that uh, if I didn't give it, you know, a really good try, I would be doing myself a disservice. What do you feel like you would be doing then if you weren't in music? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I had a few childhood dreams of other things that I wanted to do. I've always kind of wanted to do radio. I've always wanted to do, uh, I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And I was I actually talked about this on my uh, on my podcast yesterday with, with one of my guests. And... Um, he said, he was like, that's really interesting because everything that you've wanted to do, you've always wanted to be in entertainment of some form. So I guess, you know, probably I would have liked to still be in entertainment. But uh, I remember I was, I had uh, filled out paperwork to start going to a trade school out here in Southern California to become an assistant respiratory therapist. And uh, I remember, you know, I got all my paperwork and, you know, I paid for the first semester or whatever. And then I got a, and then I got a touring gig, um, 
being the bass player for in this moment. And when that happened, I was just like, okay, well, I would rather go tour than go do a trade school. Like I've always wanted to do this and I wasn't, I will, I would have been making good money if I would have continued going to school and did my, you know, and did my, uh, um, schooling to become a, a uh, an assistant respiratory therapist. But I would much rather have made no money and do something I love than be trapped somewhere making good money doing something I didn't have my heart fully into. I, I mean, I can agree with that. You know, it, when you have your heart into something, you you really feel alive because you can. I think I heard it once that you can you can be alive and carry on going but that's not living once you have your heart in something that's i think that's what truly makes you human and i i can imagine from what you've said there that's what has kept you going through um uh, your experiences in music i imagine yeah, right yeah. um so you were speaking about your first tour um how was that um talk talk to me about that was there like any experiences that stood out to you through that um... <laughs> It, it definitely opened my eyes because I had this certain perception of what being a touring musician was. And then I had that perception kind of actually, you know, I, there's the perception and the reality of what being a touring musician is um, or just touring in general. And it was a real eye opener. Like that's kind of when I first discovered that like, Oh, like you could be a big band, but it's like, you know, you could play to, you know, a thousand kids in Gallup, New Mexico, but then you go to like Akron, Ohio, and there's only 25 people, you know, I always just assume that bands who toured just played these huge mega successful shows everywhere. And then I was kind of getting to see it firsthand that, you know, every show, every city, every band is different. You know, I've played... I've played professionally in front of a hundred thousand people and I've played professionally in front of 15 people. So just being able to have those different types of experiences. And yeah, like at first it was kind of, it was kind of like, well, you know, this sucks. But then I just started kind of, you know, appreciating the different markets and, and how different shows can be even, you know, just being five or 600 miles away from each other. Um, and that's one thing I do not take for granted, especially now during all of the, the, the pandemic and everything like that. Like I would kill to play in front of 15 people <laughs> right now in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it definitely, it definitely opened up my eyes a little bit and, uh, and it definitely made me appreciate some of the, maybe some of the shows that were a little bit, uh, maybe there wasn't, you know, a thousand people there. Maybe there was only 500, but it made, it makes you appreciate like every show that you play. Uh, so was it different for when you came across the pond to the first time, maybe to like somewhere in the middle of Europe? Was there like a massive change from the States? So the first time I went to the first time I went to the, to you, to the UK, I was with my old band, uh, uh, Scar the Martyr. And I didn't know what to expect. There wasn't a lot of uh, publicity on on our record or the band itself. We had kind of our own little bit of steam because the drummer in the band at the time, he was still playing drums for Slipknot. Um, 
so I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I had never been over there. Um, and it was a little bit of a culture shock to me just because, you know, at that time I was, you know, I had never, I'd never been out of the country. I mean, minus like Canada once or twice, but I had never been to the UK and, uh, it was just crazy how different playing shows in the UK. Cause we were playing a lot of the smaller clubs, like, you know, the underworld and Camden and, um, uh, rescue rooms in Nottingham. And, uh, I forget, I forget the venue that's in Wolverhampton. Um, but all, Oh, what's yeah. it called? Uh, Oh, I can't yeah. remember. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> or, you know, like the 100 in London or, you know, the, the, the garage in London and just having like these pretty small venues and them just like packing out. I, I don't think we did like maybe eight shows and I think every single one of them sold out and it was just amazing. Cause I was used to a lot of like the American shows where, you know, most people just kind of like just stand there and kind of look at you or, you know, there's a lot of people just standing there with their arms crossed, but um, the, the people in UK, cause we play also played uh, Scotland too in Glasgow at the cat house um they were they would they would just go they would just go ape shit sorry i don't know if i could swear in here um <laughs> uh and, and it was and it was great because you know i was getting to experience different foods different cultures you know and and uh i don't know it was really great now and, and every time i come back to the uk or europe i i always try to find something new that i didn't that i haven't experienced before and uh, because I was I was pretty young going to Europe or, or to the UK, I really I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. You know, uh, I almost got hit by a bus because I looked the wrong way crossing the street. <laughs> Definitely, like how you make that connection with the fans when you see them all out in the crowd, right? <laughs> our, dr- our drum tech Norm actually grabbed my shirt and pulled me back. that's a i was gonna say like it's it's great to travel to new places and experience new cultures and how people uh live in our world um but that would have been a really big culture (laughs) shock to you right there yeah getting hit by a big old red double-decker bus (laughs) yeah (laughs) probably some tea coming out as well um so a lot of people know you for being in the group bad wolves but um i want to take it back a little bit uh where did your love of music first start and who were your earliest influences so like i said earlier you know because having brothers who are 10 and 11 years older than me you know when i was you know five six seven eight they were in their mid to late teens so they had already kind of started listening to music so when they weren't home i would go sneak into their rooms and steal cds so it kind of ex- <laughs> it, it, it exposed me to a lot of artists like and I was just kind of listening to what they were listening to um, and I just remember being really fond of you know music on my local radio station which is out here was uh, 106.7 K-Rock um, and I had a real fondness for bands like you know Nirvana because I mean it, this was literally the time when like pre Kurt Cobain death Um so I was like listening to them brand new on the radio and stuff like that in like 1993. And, uh, and I remember um, Green Day had come out with the Dookie record 
1994, I believe. And I begged my mom. I was like, can I please, can I please have this record? Can I please have this record? So she went out and she bought me. It was my first CD that I owned that I didn't steal from one of my brothers. And, uh, and <laughs> I don't know, just ever since then, you know, I kind of, I've kind of followed Green Day on, you know, MTV out here when they used to still do live music and music in general. So I kind of had like followed their, followed their career really closely for, for a couple of years. You know, I had like pictures of them up on my wall and, you know, listening to the records back to front, back to front. And, uh, and then shortly after Green Day's Dookie came out, uh, Foo Fighter came, Foo Fighters came out with their first record. And uh, that was another one. So it's like the first two Green Day records and the first two Foo Fighters records, I think, had definitely the most, the largest impact on me on wanting to be a musician. Like, you know, I had like a fake little pretend band with one of my homies in like the third grade where he was going to play drums and I was going to play guitar and sing. And, uh, you know, obviously we were terrible because we were eight. But, uh <laughs> You know, it was just, it was just one of those, it was just one of those things I kind of knew at a really young age. Like, you know, most kids when they're eight years old, they want to be, you know, pirates or ninjas or, you know, and some of them want to be, you know, firemen and police officers and stuff like that. But I kind of knew then that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in a band. And like a lot of my family like thought it was just, like, they're like, oh, this is just a phase, you know. They would they would kind of like joke about it, you know. Some of my cousins would like poke fun at me, and like you know, there'd be like a Blink One Eighty Two music video on TV, and they'd be like, "Yeah, could you could you see Kyle doing that?" And kind of you know poking fun at me a little bit. And then now I it's pretty hilarious because they're like, "Oh, like you actually did what you were gonna do," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I did." <laughs> I guess it's really uh, refreshing to hit, like to say to them, you know, um, they they were poking those li that little fun at you, but then you actually went out and did it, and I guess you proved yourself right as well. well I, I really, I wasn't going to do anything else. I wasn't going to let anything stop me. Um, you know, I, I've like I said, I've been playing in bands since I was 13 years old, and and uh, like I really, it's really all I've ever wanted to do, and I really think that you know maybe some of my my peers at the time. Maybe if something else came that was more financially stable or, you know, let them make more money so they could buy new cars or, you know, save up for a house at a younger age, they would have gone and done that. But I didn't care. It wasn't about the money for me. Granted, when I was a teen, you know, a young, a young, dumb teen, I assumed that being in a band meant you were rich. But... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought that no, as well. No, no, not <laughs> it's at all. not the case. Um, <laughs> but as I got older, the the constant like like craving to to play shows and you know be in bands, like I would play with anyone I could. Like if if a band that I was in wasn't busy, I would go and try to find shows with another band, you know. And that's kind of just how I've always I've always been. Um, you know, I've always kind of been like, cool, I'm not doing this right now. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this other thing. Don't worry. It's not going to interfere with my main thing, but just the constant need to go and not only play shows, but be able to play with other artists and like get a feel for how other people do stuff. Like, especially in a, in a professional setting, you know, I've been very fortunate enough to play with 
you know, bands such as in this moment, you know, guys who have been in bands like Slipknot, Strap Young Lad, you know, I got to go and play with Devin Townsend and I got to see how all these different camps do things. And I really think that like being a professional musician and getting to experience different aspects of the professional way of doing things is also helped me learn and grow as well. That's really wonderful to hear that I guess, um, like you said, because, you know, you nothing was going to stop you from getting to that goal. And it's I guess it's given you that sense of um, pride and accomplishment now that you're here. Where oh, you are, yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> there, there is definitely, you know, a, 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 um, a, I wouldn't so much say pride, but, you know, I'm 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 stoked that this is my job. You know, I never really once thought that I would as much as I wanted to, but I never really once thought that I would be on this huge big festival lineup playing to you know almost a hundred thousand people with bands like you know slipknot or godsmack five finger death punch anything like that and uh and i have been able to and it's just it's still really crazy for me to think that you know i was the kid practicing stage moves in front of the mirror in my bedroom listening to green day and then now i actually get to go and be the guy that i used to point at on the tv that's so cool. <laughs> um, so with, uh, obviously, you've had a really big experience with music and being a professional music- musician yourself. Um, with the evolution of music intertwined with technology now, like with Spotify, YouTube and everything else that's coming out, where do you do you see it going anywhere like to new uh, prospects or like to like do you think there would possibly transmit music into our brain and there'll be no use for headphones I mean, anymore <laughs> music music as like a medium has has really progressed in the last 30 40 years you know going from you know even further back to where it was just radio and then to you know eight track tape cd and then cd was kind of like the medium the perfect medium for about 20, 20 years or so. And, uh, and with the invention of the MP3 and then now the streaming services where you can have all this music at the tip of your fingers that doesn't take up space. Like it doesn't take up space on your, on your phone anymore. It doesn't take up space on your hard drive. It's literally just being streamed to a fast enough speed to where there is no buffering, you know? Uh, I mean, and with the with the inventions of stuff like Elon Musk, you know, doing Neuralink and stuff like that, I'm sure at some point it could be implemented straight to your brain or or what have you. But I mean, I don't really think that there's besides that, I really don't think that there's much further that that music can go. I mean, uh, I definitely think that you know, Apple music and Spotify, great services. I definitely think that there's a few kinks that need to be worked out on the, uh, on the, um, on certain ends of it, but as user interfaces and being able to just have thousands and thousands of albums and songs at your fingertips at the ready. I mean, I don't, I really don't think you could get better than that. So does this, um, I guess, like you said, thousands and thousands of um, songs just at the tip of your fingertips, um, does this evolution of technology kind of scare you at times? You know, before Napster, before LimeWire, before people were able to start stealing music at a large enough scale that it basically changed the 
the way that the record industry does business where there was money in in the music industry like lots of money and then you go from like you know 1997 to like 2002 and it's a completely different beast than it was because people are able to file share and do all this stuff uh i mean right now like i said with spotify and apple music i really think that there needs to be some things that needs to be ironed out on the professional side um but i i don't know if it actually if it's if it scares me now if you start getting into like uh you know maybe like free services but you know but then again there are stuff like pandora and there are you know there's a limited library on spotify if you're not paying for it but uh i mean i don't know it's uh i kind of would have to see which direction it was going and be like kind of just gauge it from there definitely i mean i personally think this world is evolving way too quickly like from when I was a kid trying to jam my CD player into my pocket and I knew it wouldn't fit and I would still try and fit it in anyway um, because I couldn't be asked to carry it anymore and to where we've where we're at now. It is it's exciting, but um yeah, we just gotta wait and see what happens and make a judgment from there because it's it's a very quick yeah. evolving world now. <laughs> um so moving on, um, what makes you believe music connects with fans so well from your time being a professional musician so far? Um, is it perhaps when you've been up on stage and seeing fans from all over the world make eye contact with you or sing their hearts out? I see it in many different forms, you know, because a lot of a lot of the times when people go to shows who are there to, you know, they're there to see the bands play you know, there that's like a little mini vacation for them. And a lot of the people who come, you know, to our shows, because typically we are, we're out with bigger bands, you know, like the Breaking Benjamins, the Shine Downs, the Five Finger Death Punches. Um, you know, we get to, I get to see these people, you know, especially if they're there for those, those bigger bands. I'm already done playing. I like to go out in the crowd and, you know, watch the show, have fun, go get a beer at the concession. You know, I, a lot of these bands that we tour with, I'm big fans of as well. So I also want to enjoy the show. Um, But I can, I can just see it in their faces. Like it's almost like, like a kid on Christmas morning and they got exactly what they wanted for Christmas. It's like a glow in their face and you can just see like how happy, like genuinely happy they are to be there. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life, you know, you can just see them in that moment. They are genuinely excited and they are genuinely happy and they don't have a care in the world. And there's also been times where people have reached out to me personally on my social media saying that, you know, your, your guys's music has saved me. Like I was in a really dark place and listening to this one song meant more to me than you will ever know. And being a musician and someone, a part of the group that this person was listening to, I mean, I don't really think that I could put an explanation into words on what that means to me, because to us, we're just we're guys in a room and we just want to make cool music for people. Um, And then to hear that, you know, it possibly could have saved somebody's life in some way, shape or form, or maybe help them get through some really dark times in some way, shape or form. I mean, like I said, I, I don't really think I can describe 
how it actually makes me feel, but getting to see these people and hear and see those words from people about how our music makes them feel. I mean, there's really, there's really nothing better in the world. That is, I imagine that must be a really wonderful feeling. Obviously you said you can't put a, proper words to it that you receive that on your social media like those messages typically seem to come at times where i'm doubtful of myself or i'm doubtful of the direction that i'm going in my life when it comes to music and then i see stuff like that i'm pretty fortunate when it comes to like if i if i start feeling bad or if i'm you know having a pity party for myself i i typically the universe kind of kind of puts stuff in front of me to make me realize like how lucky I am. And there, there really is no need to complain or be sad about my life. And, and granted, everyone's feelings are valid, but it helps me put into perspective. You know, it helps me put me into perspective. It helps me put my life into perspective and how lucky I am to be able to do the things that I've done with my life. Because I know that there are plenty of people out there who are just as good, if not better than me, who would give both their nuts and a leg to be able to go and do what I do. A hundred percent. I could, I could totally imagine that, that, you know, um, you work and work. I, I can imagine this uh, kind of leads onto a segue into the next question, which I wanted to ask you actually, which I was curious about. Um, what, I, what would you personally define as success in the music industry? And do you feel that you I mean, have reached it or not? Personal success is tricky because for me, I've kind of always lived a, a kind of, you can always do better it, and you can always have more like <laughs> you can always have more number ones. You can always have more platinum records. You know what I mean? So it's just keeping that, keeping the drive and the will to want to do better is kind of, is kind of where 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 I live. And I, I guess to be what I consider successful, a, 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 like to be what I consider a successful musician is uh, being able to provide for you and your family through the work that you do, not have to worry about bills, you know, and I'm not saying to live like a lavish free lifestyle, but I just mean to like be able to take care of you and yours. And if something were to happen, like, oh, my car doesn't work anymore. I got to get a new one. Oh, that's okay. I make a pretty good living. I'm pretty sure I can afford to get a new vehicle or to at least fix a very expensive fix that needs to happen. Just not having to worry about where your next meal is going to come from, not worrying if you're going to be able to pay your rent or your mortgage, not worrying if you're going to have power when you get home from tour, stuff like that. Being able to provide for yourself and your family, I really think is the definition of a successful musician. That's a really wonderful answer. With um, your time as well, um, how would you say music has affected you personally on how you see our world and humans as individuals? Do you feel it's like um, really had a massive eye-opener to you since like the, the first time you had those Green Day records and you know you begged your mom for it and that was your like your real first CD? Being, being a young kid, I didn't really understand how the world works. And as I've gotten to be a bit older, there's one thing that... I really feel that music music does 
that some other mediums aren't able to achieve. Like it doesn't matter what your uh, political outlook on is in life. If you're a vegan, if you're not a vegan, if you're a hunter, if you don't hunt, it doesn't matter what type of person you are. Like you see all different walks of life, genders, races, sex, creeds, everything when you go to shows. And it doesn't even matter where in the world. Like it, uh, music is one thing that I think that brings people together more than anything else. I mean, just look at any time Metallica plays anywhere. You know, it doesn't matter where in the world. There's white people, there's black people, there's Hispanic people, there's Jewish people, there's gay people, there's straight people. There, There's all different people from all walks of life. And I really don't think that any other medium can do that the way that music does. There's just something about being in a big open field with a 60,000 watt PA blaring your favorite songs like out into the universe and just being able to share that experience with, you know, up to thousands of hundreds of thousands of people. A hundred percent. You know, even when I go to like, when I fly over to the States as well, you know, it's, I, I do get what you mean. It's like that mini vacation that, you know, there's nothing else that's going to matter in the world for however long your favorite band is on. Uh, you just get to have a great time and, also meeting new like like-minded people in the crowd as well i feel that's what's a, what's a really another special thing you know mm-hmm. you can start chatting to someone that you've never met in your life and then you'll become the greatest of friends with them you know you'll keep in contact just because you have that same connection with that music that has brought you together i i really do relate to that answer that you know it's, i never really got to experience the power of music until you know i i started to have these opportunities like to talk to you as well you know if it wasn't for music i wouldn't have had the great opportunity sorry opportunity to speak to you today or travel to these cool places or play in bands i was able to go and do seventy thousand tons of metal with, with devin townsend and now being that that crowd isn't like those type of music fans aren't typically bad wolves fans because they're into death metal and and stuff like that. And we're not really, you know, considered, you know, even close to death metal, you know, I, I would, and we only had two shows to do on a five day cruise. So for the most part, that was like a real vacation for me for the first time, I think really ever. And uh, getting to meet all these different people and they'll be like, Oh, you know, like, like, what do you do? I'm like, well, you know, I'm here filling in for, you know, I'm, I'm playing for, for Devin Townsend, but you know, I'm a professional musician, blah, blah, blah. And there's like tons of people, that I met on that boat full of, you know, 6,000, I think it was like three to 6,000 people. I don't remember a big cruise liner ship full of people. And there's probably a handful of people that I've met on 70,000 tons of metal that I have then again, was able to see when I toured, you know, Germany. I mean, I haven't got to see anybody else because the last thing I did was a European tour last year. Um, but I got to see, you know, friends in Germany, friends in the Czech Republic, you know, friends from all these different countries that typically you wouldn't get to see unless you were at 70,000 tons, you know, because that's the one big thing that they do every year. And it was and it was just cool just to meet a whole bunch of different people that you wouldn't have met otherwise. And then. You know, I still talk to these people. We talk on, you know, WhatsApp or Signal or Facebook. 
and and keep in contact and you know we have plans for the next time that i'm able to go to germany or the czech republic or or what have you and meet up with them again it's like you know <laughs> i feel like i've made lifelong friends through music and i don't just mean from just from 70 70,000 tons i mean uh, as a music fan even after our performance especially if we're playing one of these big festivals that has a bunch of different bands that i like I'm going to go out and I'm going to watch those shows for the most part, unless I'm unless I'm real tired. But for the most part, I'm going to go out there and I want to watch the show. And there's been plenty of people that I've met randomly at these festivals whom I'm still in contact with today. So, you know, going back to the last thing I said is, you know, music definitely brings people together like no like nothing else I think does. Well, I'm a very picky person with with whom or like someone I'm very picky with how I spend to choose my time. So if I don't think that you're worth my, like not worth my time, I'm not going to spend time with you. So I think that everyone that I've met and have spent time with means a great deal to me, but in a different way to like each of these people means something different to me. And they all have one thing in common. I think they're great people. You know, they, I'm able to have great conversations with them. I'm able to have, enjoy, uh, enjoy my time with them. And I mean that that's kind of really the one main thing they all do have in common is I think they're just great human beings of, of all different walks of life. That's wonderful to hear that they, you know, I guess, um, with what you said though, that I guess they're, they're unique and special in their own individual way which yeah. makes you want to spend time with them so moving on um what bit of advice would you offer to others who are looking to get into music perhaps they're a bit nervous about picking up an instrument for their first time or maybe getting in front of a crowd i've kind of learned over the years you know instruments can be hard to pick up at first but if you're younger you know like i started playing guitar when i was 10 years old you know, between the ages of like 10 and 20, your brain is like a sponge. You pick up things very quickly and just gravitate towards something you like. You might think you like the guitar and then realize, hey, I prefer playing the bass. Or, you know, you might think, oh, I really love the drums, but you decide you want to play piano. Just find something that you naturally gravitate towards to and try it. And don't get too frustrated when you can't figure it out. I mean, that's why, you know, that's why you have lessons. You know, and once you start getting better at your craft, even if you're terrible, like even if you're terrible or you're pretty good, play with as many different types of people and as many different genres as possible, because all you're going to do is you're going to get better. doesn't matter if it's like, you know, the crappy punk rock band down the street or the super technical fusion jazz band around the block. Like just play with as many different people as possible and you will succeed in some way shape or form as a musician and if you really 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 want it if you really want it nothing can stop you and unfortunately being in this career there are a lot of risks but there are like they say you know the the greater the risk the greater the reward that's not really the case in this but if you don't take the risk you will never know if there is the reward or not a hundred percent you know it's like if you're you know you can stay there and you you'll be safe but you're not out of that also for any other reason 
then there is nothing else that you want to do on this planet. You will know fairly quickly if this is something for you. And that's one thing that I've always done. I didn't collect a real paycheck from playing music until I was 32. I'll be 35 this year. I do it for the love of the game. And I would continually do it and go into debt doing it because that's what I love doing. It doesn't matter. Like the the guys in battles could tell me like, hey, man, you know, the coronavirus took out, you know, you know, we, we don't have any money to pay you for this tour. I'd be like, cool. Where's the show? You know, I don't I, I, I don't really care because I will always figure it out. And I have figured it out between, you know, all my touring I did in my 20s. Like I figured out a way to make stuff work. And if you don't love it, it won't be worth it to you. Money is a completely human made construct. You know, it's a piece of paper. And most of the time now it's, it's digital. You look at your bank statements online, you use your debit card. Like what is more important to you? Money or memories or experiences getting to wake up in Moscow, Russia, going to, you know, play in Nuremberg, which, you know, in Germany, which is where all the Nuremberg trials were. It's a very historical place. It's a lot of bad history. But like getting to see all these historical landmarks and places and meet different people and experience different foods and, you know, coffee and booze and just being able to go and make all these memories. Like my memories that I have in my head from touring aren't worth like they're worth more than than a paycheck, than a dollar, you know, than a hundred thousand dollars, you know, because if you don't love it, what's the point just to, you know, try and see if you can make a living doing it? No. Like you won't last long. So if music is something that you have your heart into, it doesn't matter what it throws at you because you'll still try to continue to do this no matter what. That's absolutely beautiful. That that really does bring home the, I guess, the message of the show, you know, one of the core fundamentals of what I do want to bring forward with my guests that I bring on, you know, passions of, of just uh, through what they try and drive through with their passions and inspire others, you know, and inspire others to, you know, never be afraid to dig deeper into everyday life to find the truth and beauty and what they can achieve with their possibilities. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's one of the biggest things. And I, and I didn't want to forget when it comes to, you know, someone asked me like, Hey, like, give me advice, love it. Or <laughs> if you don't love it, you're not going to be able to do it and stage and like stage fright and stuff like that. Like, I used to always get stage fright before we went on. Now I just call them pre-show jitters. And once that, once the lights, once the lights dim, that's all gone. And once you jump on that stage for the first time, like you'll either (laughs) have stage fright the entire time and maybe not want to do it anymore. Or like what happened with me, it just went away. And once it went away, it never came back. Yeah, I get a little jittery before a show. Most guys do um, because, you know, your body's starting to fill with adrenaline. You like, you know, what's going to happen. 
for the most part, you know, there's always the unforeseen technical issues or, or what have you, or, you know, but for the most part, you know how it's going to go, you know, and you're hoping for the best, still expecting the worst, but your body is just going through this like immediate change and you're like endorphins and adrenaline are, are really starting to go. And then when those lights turn off, you're like, all right, boys, it's showtime. And, uh, and, and, and that's one of the biggest things is like when I'm getting ready to perform, it's like a light switch. But when I'm done performing, it takes me sometimes up to an hour to almost calm down after, after the show. Like the adrenaline kicks in real quick. But afterwards... You know, and that's why I try to find time to go because I know how I am afterwards. Uh, I, I can be, you know, a little, you know, I, I'm still full of excitement and adrenaline, but sometimes I need to just go be by myself, you know, depending like if I had a bad show personally, um, that's when I'm like, all right, boys, you know, I need to go be by myself for a little while or what have you. And it's not because I'm disappointed in anybody else except like, except maybe for me. Like I did, I, those are the times that I feel like I wasn't able to give them the people, the fans, their money's worth. And regardless, it could have looked and sounded the exact same as the night before. But if I feel like, oh, maybe, maybe tonight my heart wasn't in it as much as it usually is, you know, maybe I have some personal stuff going on, or maybe I'm sick, or maybe I, you know, don't feel well or what have you. And that's one thing I always try to bring when it comes to when it comes to playing live and why I will never ever ever cancel a show for not feeling well it doesn't matter what what I have like I could be I could be coming out from both sides and I will still play because no they don't, when fans come to see a show regardless I, granted all eyes aren't on me but I am part of an entire I'm a part I'm part of a whole so I feel like it doesn't matter if I'm sick. It doesn't matter if I'm hungover. It doesn't matter if I don't feel well. It doesn't matter if my heart's broken. It doesn't matter anything. These people did not pay to see me mope around on stage like a sad, pathetic butthead. You know, they're there to see the band be the best as a whole. And that's one thing. So it's like, it doesn't matter. Like I could be, you know, I've played the show. I've played shows with the flu. And I'm like moping around backstage. But the second I go, I walk up the back of the stage. Like I have to have the best poker face I can have because they, they don't care. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but they paid to see some entertainment. And they don't, they don't care. Like I said, not in a negative way that I don't feel well or how I'm feeling. They want to be entertained, and that's what we're there to do, is entertain, inspire, and make them not think about the stuff that's going on in their lives. And I think that's why people idolize musicians and actors and stuff like that, because they, I feel like, like if they, I were to act sick when, when I was playing a show, it would almost be too human and... Like they, people admire us with such like, uh, like grandiose admiration <laughs> that like we're almost like different 
like different from them. And that's why, you know, I always, I, I find it hilarious when people are like, Oh my God, you're such like a laid down, like a, a laid back down to earth guy. I'm like, I'm literally a, a person just like you. I'm not a mutant. I'm not an alien. You know, I just happen to have a really fucking cool job. Uh, and I, and I think, you know, because of how people look at us like that, there, there is a perception that while you're performing that I, there is kind of like a different being, but when I'm off stage, I'm just regular, I'm just regular old Kyle, you know, going around, you know, talking about Batman or playing video games or something along those lines. But when I'm on stage, it's like, that's a completely different part of myself. So, like I said, this is really a long winded of kind of explanation of what I was going before. Like they don't pay to see you mope around on stage. They pay you to be entertained. And that's one thing I always think of when I'm playing any show. It doesn't matter if there's two people in the audience. It doesn't matter if there's 200,000 people in the audience. I always try to make it so I am entertaining. At least I'm doing my part of the bigger, the bigger picture to be entertaining. 100% you know uh, that's one thing that I've really gotten a vibe from you today Carl while recording this you know the passion that you've you've got in this music that um, you always give 100% of your heart into it because it makes you feel 100% human you know you're not doing it for any of the monetary gain or the fame or anything you do it because you love it and that's that's really fantastic to hear thank you um so going back to some of the fans there um have you had the crazy experiences with fans the superman complex where when i'm on stage i look ex- like completely different than when i'm off stage it's like the superman clark kent thing you know literally because all i do is add glasses and a ponytail and people don't recognize me it's great um, not not that I don't appreciate fans, but I, I do appreciate being able to be anonymous and in, and go out and enjoy the show like everybody else, because, you know, you can't have guys like Chris Kale do that. You could pick him out. You can pick him out of a crowd easily or guys like Ivan or, you know, and pretty much anybody else. In my band, pretty much. <laughs> um, I'm able to still blend into a crowd pretty well. And. Granted, there have been there have been a couple weird times um, because I have long hair. I've had a couple of of drunk girls like touch my hair and I'm really weird about like I I I don't like being touched (laughs) without my permission and my hair especially. Um, And typically, like unless I know you, I don't really I don't really shake hands. I do a fist bump or you get a hug. There's like no (laughs) there's no middle ground there. You know, because I get sick really easily on tour. So I've always just been like the fist bump guy. Um, but when you come up and like touch a part of me without my uh, without my permission, uh, it, it, it tends to upset me a little bit. And I will make it known that that is not OK, because, you know, a girl coming up to a guy and pulling his hair. Um, you got to imagine if the roles were reversed, you probably wouldn't like that very much. So all I ask for is like. If you want to do something, ask. It doesn't mean you're going to get permission, but don't come up and uh, reach somebody's personal space without their permission. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, that that's um, 100% understandable. I remember, oh God, when was it? 
I think it was about 2018. I was in uh, London seeing you play. I was front row and I, I remember like it was yesterday that I was um, making eye contact with you while you were at uh, Shepherd's Bush Empire. I had played all those venues before, but we, I was able to play the bigger rooms now that we were with that we were with Three Days Grace. Anyone so, who makes eye contact uh, with me, I, I know where they are. I know where they are in the crowd. And if it, and it feels like they're having a good time, um, I always try to make sure because I have about 10 or 15 picks that I'll throw out. You know, I've gotten pretty good at it. So even if they're a little bit further, I can, you know, I, I can get those little those little pizza slices pretty far. So anyone who seems like they've enjoyed their self, like gave me some sort of interaction and like, you know, acknowledged my existence um, and was having a good time during the show. I always make sure to throw out guitar picks, you know. Sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, the, some of the ladies that are out in the front row, I don't mean for the picks to go in your brassiere. It's just, that's the easiest, that's just an easy target. <laughs> there you go. It, it, it can get that. land in there and they know they've definitely got it safe in there. <laughs> um, so moving on, what would you say one misconception people have about you is? Uh, I think a lot of people think that I have a lot of money and I don't, I mean, I'm, not struggling like i'm not like i said i'm not worried about where my next meal is coming from but i'm not made of cash either you know and there's a few things you know there there were some people who on the internet you know internet trolls uh were kind of ragging on me about why i drive a car that's almost 20 years old or why you know i don't have my own place instead of you know i have roommates like and the answer is, is because I was on tour for the better part of eight years before this pandemic started. Like, why the hell am I going to have a car payment when I'm gone 200 days a year? Why am I going to spend money on an empty apartment when I'm gone 200 days a year? It's like when you have a roommate, I have built in security here. You know, no one's going to break into my empty apartment, <laughs> you know? Like I rented this place with just like, cool, I'll be fine with hanging out here when I'm not on tour, but it turned into a spot that I enjoy being at in general. You know, there's dogs here, there's cats here. My roommates are cool. It's a very chill vibe. Like there's never any uncomfortableness in the house. And like, that's pretty much why I don't drive a new car or like have my like have my own I live in Los Angeles man this is one of one of the most expensive cities in in the United States like I wasn't going to pay $2000 a month to have a spot by myself that I was going to be at for maybe a month and a half out of the year you know I was going to get a spot that was much more affordable to where it it stays empty most of the year but at least I have a nice secure place for my stuff that I don't take on tour you know and I have a place. I have a place to come and 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 hang my hat when I'm not on the road either. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think just like the misconception of like, oh, you know, bad wolves must be doing really, really, really well. And it's like, you know what, we we do all right, but doesn't mean I'm going to go out and spend money like I got it. You know. And the other misconception I think is just people not having the 
you know, like I said, there's a perception, there's a perception and a reality when it comes to being a musician. We're just like, and I know this is super cliche and everyone says it, but we're just like every other, every other person. Like there's nothing that makes me different from you other than like no different than you are from somebody else. You know, like I don't have magical superpowers, you know, I'm just a dude. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm kind of going back to, you know, things that internet trolls have said, kind of ragging on me because, you know, I'm into uh, movie memorabilia or comic books. Um, like there's, there, there are two different people that I am. There is the person that I am 95% of the time, which is just regular old Kyle, you know, he, you know, hangs out with his friends and plays bass and plays video games and what have you. But then there's the guy that's on stage. Like I, uh, there are a few people I know who live and are their personas of who they, um, who they project themselves to be on the stage. I am not one of those people because that is like playing a show and doing that. That is my release. That is, that's where the beast comes out in a natural, healthy way, you know, that's, and it's, it's not that I'm a completely separate person and, you know, it's just, that's just that side of my personality and they are two totally different things because I want to look a certain way when I'm on stage. I want to feel a certain way when I'm on stage, but for the most part, I'm just like rolling around in my Nike slides and my glasses and ponytail, just, you know, listening to nerd music, you know? The other 95% of the time. <laughs> so I think people not being able to differentiate my offstage and my onstage personas is like they, they, I don't know, they see one thing and they expect another, you know, they expect me to look a certain way when I'm not on stage or they expect me to act a certain way when I'm not on stage when they, it is two completely different things. So they would never kind of they don't really ever cross over you know um so i guess this um kind of goes on from what you were saying um uh what actions of positivity inspiration and beauty do you believe we can all do as individuals to ensure understanding and equality amongst one another because i know in the first misconception you said you know they um say that why do you drive around in this uh 200 20 year old car said it, that 20 yeah yeah thank you <laughs> thank you for correcting me there <laughs> being polite makes and it and it doesn't matter like who you're who you're talking to or who you're interacting with you know, like I always try to be as polite as I can to, you know, people just out in the world. It doesn't matter in what situation, if it's the guy at the gas station, if it's, you know, uh, homie, you know, handing me my order from McDonald's or or anything in between, just being polite. And even if even if you're not having a great day, it doesn't mean it doesn't give you the right to be rude. To, to anybody else just having a polite tone and saying hello as it, it really goes a long way and i don't know that that's kind of just how i've i always try to be and granted i'm not perfect at it and i do have my bad days and there have been times where you know there have like fans have come up to me and i i, I do feel terrible about this but i just wasn't in the right mindset 
for that interaction at that time. And it might have come off as me blowing them off or brushing them off, but it wasn't, you know, and like I said, I'm not perfect, but I always try to be as polite as I can to everybody. It doesn't matter if, like I said, if it's, you know, it's another super cliche saying it doesn't matter if it's the janitor or the CEO, you got to treat everybody with respect and just be as polite and nice as you can, because you don't know like how your one interaction with somebody is going to butterfly effect the rest of that person's day. If it's a positive, like just imagine like you're working at a fast food place and people are just rude to you or have rude tones at you throughout the day. And you get that one person say, you know, say it's me at 10 o'clock at night and I'm super polite and I say, please. And thank you. And I'm like, Hey, I hope you have a great night. And that can literally change the outcome of somebody's day. Just that one small interaction of being polite and courteous to your fellow human. Like we're all, we're all on this rock together. Like, I don't understand why we can't just, just be polite to one another, you know, and, and just like, you know, everybody love everybody, (laughs) you know, for some people that's harder, harder than others, but just being polite. Cause there, there's been yeah. so many times where even just at the gas station, which is like, I go regularly, it's right down the street from my house and uh, people just being rude. And I'm like, bro, you don't need to be rude. Come on. Like, there's no need for that. This person literally did nothing to you. And just, just be courteous and friendly and be nice to everybody. That's what I try. Unless they obviously, unless they don't deserve it, then don't. But for the most part, just be courteous. Absolutely wonderful answer, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> um, so coming to mm-hmm. finish off the show, I've got a couple more questions for you. Uh, two coming from fans of the show, so I hope that's okay. Um, so the first one comes from Tom Harrison, wanting to know what is the most rewarding thing for you about playing music? Uh, every show I get to play and getting to see the faces in the crowd, you know, like just getting to see, you know, happy fans and happy people or you know like i said messages i get like man like you really helped me or you know even even the ones that are just like hey i really like your band like i never heard of you before i saw you guys with so and so at so and so and so and uh you know i i i love that and uh, i mean memorable situations was probably the one thing that comes to the top of my head is uh, Bad Wolves was we were we were on that same tour that we were talking about earlier the the three days grace tour it was our first first trek across uh, across the ocean and we were in Prague Czech Republic and on that bill it was just us and three days grace that was it we were playing this kind of like older hockey arena with no ice and uh, I remember you know, we were getting ready to go on stage and, you know, I was doing my, my stretches beforehand and, uh, I get up to the back of the stage and we all wear in-ear monitors. So, you know, I kind of leave my in-ear monitors out a little bit until, you know, until the lights go out so I can kind of talk to everybody, hear what everybody else is saying. And, um, I remember I'm like, I'm like, is Robbie playing something right now? Robbie, Robbie Brown's our front of house guy. 
uh, and all of it just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And it was just, it was literally just the crowd going bad wolves, bad wolves, bad wolves. And we had never up to that point, we had never experienced anything like that before. And it just kept getting louder and louder. And then we actually ended up going on a few minutes early just because they were getting so like loud. We're like, all right, you know, we got to give the people what they want. And apparently right now they want, they want the wolves. So uh, that would, that was a really, really, really like fond memory. And it was one of the best shows of that tour as well. Like, you know, when the crowd is just already feeling it and they went nuts that night too. You know, and uh, but yeah, that's definitely one thing that stands out the most to me, especially in the first year of our touring and then never having been uh, across the ocean before. God, they must have just gone absolutely ballistic when you hit the stage. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it's all about. Just putting your heart into it, like we've been saying. (laughs) Um, So the second one comes from Candice Bartley wanting to know, do you feel like your inspiration for music has changed over time? And if so, how? For, for Bad Wolves, uh, my inspiration is kind of all over the place just because of kind of how different all of our songs are. We have, you know, we have some straight up metal songs. We have some, you know, ballad type songs. We have some rock songs, but we also have some kind of prog influenced and like funk influenced type stuff. So I think because of the 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 differences in just the music in general has kind of caused me to be more aware of different musicians. And I, I think like the best, the best way to kind of say like what my influences are coming in a, like coming from in like a bad wolf situation is it's, it's a little all over the place, it, but it's like my influences on my playing style for this band is, you know, like James Leach from sixth, that's where you know a lot of the slap and the proggy stuff kind of comes in and uh billy gould from faith no more again more of a funky style slap not uh, a percussive um prog style slap more of a funk generated but also still rock oriented and then fieldy from corn which you know that's i think that's kind of self self-explanatory but that's kind of where my influences personally live like for this band but in a different band it it could be complete it's it's always different yeah but those are kind of like the people i try to hone in you know like billy gould from like 1987 or you know sixth from like 2006 you know being gent before there was ever such thing as gent or uh you know or like try to incorporate how how fieldy sculpted his bass tone (laughs) you know because like and and people like to rag on fieldy's bass tone but if you look at it from a frequency based perspective it's amazing uh because uh, before corn no one was really tuning that low they were down to a on seven string guitars and in that frequency and that tuning the guitars tend to live where most of the bass would typically live in a standard tuning setup. So instead of trying to fight the frequencies in the middle where the guitars were, he was just like, I'm going to go on top and on bottom of them. I'm going to be super subby low and I'm going to be really clanky high. And it kind of melded it all together. And yeah, the mids are scooped in that sort of setting, but 
uh, his tone works well for that band. And I think that there isn't really a, like a guide or a book to, to base tone. I really think you have to, in different situations, you're going to have to compromise on something that you think sounds good and what actually sounds good and playing for that band and, and having a certain bass tone for that band. Like my bass tone for bad wolves is completely different than my bass tone would be for say scar, the martyr or Vimic. So it's just playing to the band and tuning your and honing your sound for the band as well. Cause it makes that unique, I guess. You know, because if you, I, I guess if you have that same bass tone for every single band, then it's just, I guess it would become a stable part of you being a bass guitarist. Like everybody has their own individual sounds and everybody, you know, like my finger tone is very specific to me. So it's like, it might not sound drastically different, but it is different. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure people will know that now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so finally uh the last question of the show thank you so much for taking the time out to come on again um i don't want to keep you any longer um so what is one thing you'd say to anyone today who might be listening who is struggling to find positivity in their lives regardless of what the situation might be and i know sometimes it's hard to find that silver lining to find that light at the end of the tunnel but it's always there and sometimes you have to look really 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 hard and i know especially with this last year, you know, I've gone through some of the, the most depressed that I've ever been, but I always try to look at where I am in my life because there is always somebody. And I hate to say it like this. There's always somebody doing worse than you, you know? So you have to really look at and appreciate everything that this world has given you that you have been able to give to you and just try to find a silver lining. And just because just because something works for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. You got to find your own way, your own, uh, your own path in this world and just do things that make you happy. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about like, if you're not doing anything to hurt anybody, literally just do whatever it is that makes you happy. And in ways that make you happy. You know, yeah, there are guys who get up at three o'clock in the morning and work out for five hours and they, you know, do this and that. And, you know, oh man, those guys must be so great. It's like, that doesn't work for everybody. You know, figure out how to live this life on your terms in a way that makes you happy. What an absolutely wonderful way to close it out, my friend. Thank you so much. So for one final reminder for the people today, what is the name of your podcast? And where can people follow you on social media? Uh, it's called Just STFU. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ks conkiel that's k-s-k-o-n-k-i-e-l if you want to sponsor the podcast you can at just stfu podcast at gmail.com and uh yeah that's pretty much it oh oh also follow the band on instagram and twitter at bad wolves official and uh we hope you enjoy it thank you so much my friend yeah thank you for having me i really appreciate it it's been fun